beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about our spiritual warfare, we usually identify three sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Throughout Israel's wilderness journey, they struggled repeatedly with the weakness of the sinful flesh. Much of their grumbling and complaining was because they did not have water to drink or the food that they desired. It resulted in them complaining, not just against Moses and Aaron, but ultimately against the Lord. God continued to provide for his people's needs, and so they learned to trust in him. Israel had also faced the direct attack of enemies who made war against them. Yet the Lord had blessed them with overwhelming victories over the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the people of Bashan. We saw that last time in Numbers 21. In our text, we see how Israel comes up against a different kind of attack. Israel had come to camp in the plains of Moab, across from Jericho, because the Israelites were great in number and because they had been victorious in battle, the Moabites were overcome by fear. Their king Balak was not willing to go out in battle against the Israelites. Instead, he proposed to hire Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam was a world-renowned psychic, a clairvoyant, a seer. Our text mentions that Balak's messengers departed Midian with the fees for divination with them. Divination consists of occult rites and practices that allow its practitioners to see into the future. Twice, Balaam introduces his prophecies with the words, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. Balaam was recognized as one who could see the future and who could curse your enemies for you. And so we see that Israel comes under spiritual attack. King Balak of Moab sought to hire a man who could use the spiritual forces of darkness against God's people Israel. We know that the forces of darkness were active in Egypt. Pharaohs, magicians were able to make water into blood and to turn their staffs into snakes. While in Egypt, Satan had tried hard to exterminate the people of God through genocide by having all the baby boys drowned in the Nile River. In our text, we see how his forces are again being gathered against Israel. Satan opposes the purpose and the work of God. Our text alerts us to the, co- to the cosmic battle that Satan and his evil spirits are fighting against the Lord and his people. It makes us aware of the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul says, against other people, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's times and situations when the church and when individual Christians come under spiritual attack. We need to be aware. We need to be on guard. 
Our text also sensitizes us to the fact that God is faithful, that he will not allow the forces of darkness to overcome, but will protect and preserve us. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord opposes Balaam's desire to come and curse Israel. We'll see Balaam's desire to curse Israel and the Lord's protection of his covenant people. Our text begins with Israel camped out on the border of the promised land. Describes the reaction of the Moabites. Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. So the Moabite elders call on Midian to form an alliance with them. They speak of Israel as a horde that will lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. We need to understand that Israel was in no way threatening the people of Moab. Israel was was interested in entering the promised land. God's people occupied an area called the Plains of Moab. It was located north of the Dead Sea opposite Jericho. Moab's territory at that time began south of the Arnon River. Israel had bypassed Moab's territory and was not threatening them. Moab's problem was that they were consumed by fear. King Sihon had earlier defeated Moab and taken away a huge part of their territory. Since Israel had defeated Sihon and taken his territory, Moab saw the Israelites as a superpower. Their fear provoked Balak into taking action. Ancient kings generally figured they had two options when it came to defeating enemies. One option was to defeat them in battle. The second option was to curse the enemy and cancel out their power. Since Balak, king of the Moabites, saw no way of defeating Israel in battle, he decides to try hiring Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam is identified as the son of Peor from Pethor. Pethor is in northern Syria near the river Euphrates, some 650 kilometers by road from Moab. Traveling that kind of distance would take 20 to 25 days in the ancient world. Shows that Balak was not fooling around. He sought out Balaam from far away. Balaam was a man of great renown. Our text mentions that the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian took with them fees for divination. In general, divination is a means of discerning the future or the unknown. In ancient times, divination was practiced through different means. It could be through interpreting omens or signs, or through the inspiration of the diviner through trance or ecstasy or visions. The term, the Hebrew term for divination used in our text is a more general term, referring to all magical and divinatory practices. In our text, Balaam twice commands the elders of Moab to stay the night, that he might know what the Lord said to him. 
seems to indicate that at least one of the forms Balaam used for divination was through visions or dreams. It raises an important question. How exactly could a diviner know what the future holds? Is it possible for psychics or clairvoyants to truly know what the future holds? We live in a world where psychics, clairvoyants, and astrologers claim to see what normal people cannot see. Some of them just deceive their clients by playing a con game or by making such vague predictions they could apply to anyone. Some of them engage in telepathy, discerning from the minds of their clients what they want to hear. In the Bible, there's times when God communicated directly with people, making known His will. There are also times when diviners are involved with the occult, when they receive insight from evil spirits. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11, the Lord forbids His people from any involvement with magic or divination. He said, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a median, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. God does not want his people to seek direction from such sources. Instead, he wants his people to live their lives according to what he has commanded, in his word. Our text tells how Balak charged his elders to pass on this message to Balaam. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. What is clear is that Balaam had the reputation of being able to speak blessing or curse on people, and that somehow it appeared to be effective. When the elders of Moab conveyed Balak's request, Balaam responded, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. What is surprising is that Balaam uses the personal name of Israel's God, the Lord, or Yahweh, as the one from whom he would seek direction. While Balaam obviously knew who the Lord was, it's not yet clear what his relationship with Israel's God was like. Our text tells us that the Lord appeared to Balaam that night. He asked, who are these men with you? Now God obviously knew the answer to this question, but he asked it for Balaam's benefit. Balaam explained that Balak, king of Moab, had sent for him. He wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel so that he might drive them out. That's not a completely accurate description of the situation. Israel had not invaded Moab. Moab had no reason to make war against Israel. The Moabites were not acting in self-defense. In telling the Lord what the elders of Moab said to him, Balaam also left out Balak's flattering claim that he had the power to bless and to curse effectively. Clearly, Balaam wanted to go with the messengers of Balak. 
Yet God did, not allow, God did not allow him to go. He said to him, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. It's important to note Balaam's response to the elders of Moab. Once again, he does not communicate fully and honestly. He tells them to go home, for the Lord has refused to let him go with them. Balaam does not tell them that he would not be able to curse Israel because the Lord had declared them blessed. He indicates he wants to go, but that he was prevented from doing so. The elders of Moab read this as a ploy for more money. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than the first delegation. Balak promises Balaam great honor, and that he could basically name his own price for coming. In response, Balaam makes two statements. First he says, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Then he tells the elders to stay the night, that I may know what the Lord will say to me. If Balaam truly could not go beyond the command of the Lord, he would have sent the princes of Moab away. There was nothing more for the Lord to tell him. The Lord had already been very clear and explicit in his command to Balaam. He had said, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse Israel, for they are blessed. Clearly, Balaam hoped the Lord would change his mind. The Lord said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. This is not a clear command to go to Moab. What the Lord is really saying to Balaam is, if the summons of these men and the reward they offer is really so important to you that it outweighs my clear command not to go, well then, go with them. In the morning, Balaam gets up and goes with the men of Moab. He gives the impression he now has permission to come with them to curse Israel. It is not communicate that the Lord has repeated he was only allowed to do what the Lord told him to do. So why was Balaam so motivated to go with the elders of Moab? Perhaps part of the answer is that his ego was stroked. The king of Moab had heard about him and called him to come and help from far away. Going to help would only enhance his international reputation. But there's also a more weighty reason why Balaam wanted to go to Moab. 2 Peter 2 verse 15 explains why. There, Balaam is described as greedy for financial gain. He wanted that Moabite money, that fee for divination. He lusted after the reward Balak promised. This warning of this for us, beloved. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul teaches us that godliness with contentment is great gain. He says that if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He urges us, he warns us against the desire to be rich. Paul says that such people fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Paul writes that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, that it has shipwrecked the faith of many. What we also need to consider, beloved, is who stood behind Balak's attempt to recruit Balaam to curse Israel. Who is often actively involved in the world of psychics and fortune tellers? It's Satan and his evil spirits, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The attack on Israel and the attack on the people of God today often has devilish roots. Satan will do anything he can to oppose the purposes and the plans of God. He used Balak's fear to get him to hire Balaam to curse Israel. He used Balaam's greed to get him to oppose God's clear command to travel to Moab. He often uses our fear, frustration, envy, greed, or lust to do things that we know are displeasing to the Lord. Satan's goal is always to break down and to destroy, to enslave us, so we come under his power. Having considered Balaam's desire to curse Israel, we come to our second point, and we'll see the Lord's protection of his covenant people. Our text continues by telling us how Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. God's anger was kindled against him because he went. And so the Lord acts. Our text says that the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. God is angry with Balaam because he went with the princes of Moab, intending to do whatever he could to get his reward. Balaam went riding on a donkey. Donkeys are known for their pig-headed stubbornness. This donkey was a picture of Balaam's stubborn determination to do what he wanted against the express command of God. Some people think of donkeys as being utterly stupid. It's hard to beat Balaam's stupidity in trying to go against God. Makes you wonder who the real donkey of this story is. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in its hand. The donkey took evasive action and went off into the field to escape being killed. Balaam beats the donkey to turn her back to the road. The angel with a drawn sword then stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. The donkey squeezes past the angel, squashing Balaam's foot against the wall. Again, she got a beating for her troubles. Finally, the angel stands in a place where the donkey cannot get past. So the, bon so the donkey lay down under Balaam. His anger was kindled. He beat her with his staff. It's at this point that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she spoke. She said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam pours out his frustration on the donkey saying, she has made a fool of him these three times. 
He says that he wishes he had a sword in his hand, for then he would kill his donkey. The donkey responds by pointing out that she was the one that he had ridden all his life. It was not her custom to act out in this kind of manner. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam, fell down, Balaam bowed down and fell on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The Lord told Balaam that the donkey had seen him and turned aside, that if she had not, he would have killed Balaam. Now, beloved, we need to pause for a moment to consider how the Lord acts to get Balaam's attention. Our text contains a certain amount of irony. It's filled with divine humor. First, we need to remember that Balaam was a psychic, a fortune teller, what the Bible often calls a seer. Normally, he was paid to discern messages from God in strange and mysterious ways. But he couldn't see the angel of the Lord standing in plain sight, ready to kill him, while his donkey could. Secondly, since Balaam was unwilling to listen to God's clear commands forbidding him from going to Moab to curse Israel, the Lord uses the same donkey to stop him in his tracks. Balaam had been hired to travel a great distance to harm an entire nation, Israel, with the mere power of his spoken word. Yet Balaam cannot even control his own donkey. When his donkey makes a fool of him, he's reduced to beating her with a stick and, under, and uttering empty threats. Yet the Lord caused this donkey, which, doesn't have vocal which does not have vocal cords, to speak. 2 Peter 2.16 says that Balaam was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. In this manner, the Lord puts Balaam in his place. He shows Balaam that he is powerless before the Lord, the God of Israel. The renowned seer cannot see what even his donkey sees. The man who wanted to go and curse Israel cannot even control his own donkey. It took a donkey to teach Balaam what a donkey he was. He was stubbornly pig-headed in his determination to go and claim Balak's reward. He showed his utter stupidity in trying to go against the Lord's command. Our text shows how Balaam is starting to understand the error of his ways. He said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with these men, but speak only the word that I tell you. Initially, Balaam went along with the princes of Moab because he wanted to do whatever he could 
to earn the reward Balak had promised him. Yet by threatening to kill him, the Lord has made it clear he was only allowed to say what God commanded him. So, beloved, what do we learn from our text? Well, the central point of Numbers 22 is that the Lord protects his church. Everything that happens in this chapter highlights the point that when God blesses his people, nothing can possibly undo that blessing. No one can curse whom God blesses. Way back in Genesis 12, the Lord had made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord pronounced a blessing on Abraham and his descendants. He said that he would make Abraham into a great nation and that he would give the land of Canaan to his offspring as their own possession. Abraham's descendants were camped out on the plains of Moab at the border of the promised land. And they are blissfully ignorant of what is happening. They don't know that a psychic has been hired to curse them. They don't know that this greedy diviner, this seer, badly wants his reward. They don't know about the angel of the Lord confronting Balaam's donkey or about the donkey speaking. And they don't need to know any of these things either. Because the Lord, their faithful covenant God, is their protector. Our text provides us with great encouragement in a time when the Christian church is under attack. We don't have a Moabite king trying to destroy the church. Yet in many Islamic countries, Christians are attacked and church buildings are burnt down. In China, the government keeps trying to close house churches and is taking pastors into custody and sentencing them to hard labor. In the Western world, anyone who speaks out against unbiblical philosophies is labeled and is shut out of social media. And yet, Jesus has said, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I want to come back to the central figure in the story of Numbers 22. Who do you think is a central figure in our text? Balak? Balaam? The donkey? No, none of the above. Who is it that stops Balaam in his tracks and and prevents him from going to curse Israel? It is the angel of the Lord. In Hebrew, the word angel means messenger. In the Bible, angels often serve as messengers from God who speak his word. There are several occasions where the Bible speaks about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord often appears at critical moments in time to intervene in human history so that God's purpose is accomplished. He appeared to Abraham to prevent him from sacrificing Isaac on the altar. He appeared at the burning bush 
commissioning Moses to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now he appears again to deliver God's people from coming under Balaam's curse. In Joshua 5, 13 to 15, it appears with a drawn sword in his hand. There he identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Many commentators see the angel of the Lord as the Lord Jesus Christ. Before Jesus took on human nature from the Virgin Mary, he appeared at times as the angel of the Lord. He appeared at turning points in Israel's history to guide and protect his people. So how do we know that the angel of the Lord was more than just some messenger from God? Well, at the burning bush, this angel identified himself as God. He told Moses to take off his sandals for he's standing on holy ground. Similarly, in Joshua 5, when the angel of the Lord identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's armies, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Knowing that it is Christ himself who came to the defense of his people gives us a new perspective on the story of the talking donkey. Why is God so intent on protecting his people and preventing them from being cursed? It's because the Lord has grand plans for his people Israel. Plans that he made known to Abraham in Genesis 12. Already then, the Lord made it clear that it was in Abraham's offspring that all the families of the earth would be blessed. Israel is the nation entrusted with the good news of Jesus' coming. They are the people of the Messiah. It's into this people that Jesus, the Son of God, would be born. We, beloved, may draw great comfort from knowing the way that God protected and preserved his people. God caused the Messiah to be born from the offspring of Abraham. He did it so that many people from all tribes and nations would be able to share in the blessings of Abraham. Who are these people? Anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. What does it help us to believe in him? Well, it's in Jesus and through him that God grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In our lives, there are times when we will face sorrows and struggles. There are times when we as Christians are ridiculed, when we're oppressed and persecuted. There are times when we are tempted and when we may come under a spiritual attack from the forces of darkness in the heavenly places can make us question the value of holding fast our faith, of continuing to live for Christ. Yet, beloved, please consider who you are. You are the Messiah's people. You live under the protection and care of the commander of God's armies. 
Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger? He answers with a resounding no. He writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ loves his church, his people. He will protect and preserve us, even from spiritual attack. Amen. <coughs> Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 2, stanzas 3 and 4. <coughs> 